Okay. The book of Acts. We finished up chapter one last week. So we're gonna be jumping into chapter two this week. It's here somewhere, I know it is. And we're gonna be looking at the first uh, 13 verses. So let's read the word of God. When the day of Pentecost arrived, and they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, uh, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native tongue, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya uh, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans uh, and Arab, uh, Arabians, we hear them telling in their own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said they are filled with new wine. what we call Pentecost. It was one of the, uh, the annual feasts that uh, the Jewish people were required to participate in and gather at Jerusalem, at the temple in Jerusalem. It took place 50 days after the Passover. In some places, it's also called the Feast of the First Fruits. It was really a celebration of the beginning of the harvest. It's also considered to be the anniversary of the giving of the Mosaic Law on Mount Sinai. So you can understand why this was a big deal. The amazing thing about it is this is this only 50 days after Passover. Can you imagine that, you know, all of these people gathered together for Passover and then, 50, and then left and went back home and did their other things, and, and, and many of them traveled great distances only to turn around 50 days later and return back to Jerusalem. It's been 10 days approximately since Christ ascended into heaven, and the disciples said, gone back to the upper room, and they had been there, but they had not been there doing nothing. They weren't just sitting around waiting for Jesus. 
are waiting for the Holy Spirit. They spent the time in prayer. And I think it's important for us to always consider the idea that whatever ministry that we enter into, whether it's going to visit our neighbor and tell them about Jesus or going to Uganda on one of the trips that we used to take or, or that sort of thing, is that, that those activities should, very, should always be bathed in very much prayer. They dedicated days to it. Not wasting the time doing not much of anything. They've been waiting. They've been waiting and they've been praying. Then suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. I know that some of you know this, but my grandparents had a house right smack dab on Flagler Beach when I was a kid. And in those days, there were three houses there in one bunch, and they were the only houses for miles in either direction. So, and, and, and usually there weren't people even staying in those other two houses. So very often, we had our own private beach for a whole week, and we, never, we almost never saw anybody else but our family on the beach. My brother and I happened to be there one time, and we were probably eight or nine or ten years old, and we were just there with my grandparents. And we started hearing news about this small hurricane that was moving up the coast. And I don't know how in the world we managed to do it, but my brother and I convinced my grandparents for, to let us stay there so we could go through the hurricane. Seriously. And they did. And we did. And it was a little one. It was only like, you know, 75 mile an hour winds or whatever. But it was a real eye opener the next morning when we got up and the waves were crashing in their backyard. But the thing I remember most about it was the howling of the wind, the wind coming around the corner of the house. It was so loud, it was unbelievable, and it was unrelenting. We've all heard the wind blow, sometimes more and sometimes less. But that is how the coming of the Holy Spirit is described here. I can imagine that what my brother and I experienced those days or that day was very similar to what these people were hearing at this point.
Well, just think about this. Peter and Andrew and John and James had been fishermen on the Sea of Galilee, which was, is noted for these very windy, sudden storms that come up out of nowhere. And so these guys were not unfamiliar with heavy wind. But I would imagine this was nothing or their, their own personal experience up to this point was nothing at all like what was going on now. Divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. I'll say this, you know, there, we, we know this, that there were far more than just the apostles gathered together in this room if it, was, if it was like things had been at other times. There were other people there too. And what I would say to you, we don't know for certain, was it, when this happened, did it happen to everybody that was in the room? I don't think so. I think that, that these tongues of fire fell upon the apostles in particular. To anoint them, to empower them with the Holy Spirit, that they would be able to accomplish the special and specific ministries to which they were being called and set apart to accomplish. Christians in every age since have been challenged with the idea was, uh, 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 or the question, was this just a, a, a one-time thing or is it something that we should expect, expect to experience ourselves in our Christian walk in life? In other words, was this, this empowering act of the Holy Spirit normative for the church in every age or was it a special occasion? And I'm not sure what the answer to that question happens to be, to be honest with you. But we do know this, that Jesus had given the great commission to these 12 guys. And what Jesus has done now is sent forth the Holy Spirit to enable them, to prepare them, to accomplish what he set them apart to do. To begin to fulfill the Great Commission. And I would say this too, that when God calls us to a particular mission, he prepares us to do it. He's never going to call you to do anything he doesn't prepare you to do. Suddenly, they began to speak in languages that they did not know beforehand. 
tongue speaking. You know, tongue speaking is a big thing in the charismatic movement today. But I will tell you this, honestly, that the vast majority of what takes place, I don't believe, is biblical tongue speaking. What was going on here was this, is the Holy Spirit was not enabling them to speak in some ancient tongues of the, Mer of the Persians and the Medes. He enabled them to speak in languages that were unknown to them at that point that were presently being spoken in the world they lived in. Enabling them to tell people the gospel in a language that they could not speak beforehand. particular missionary, his name was Robert Carr, was one of the World Harvest missionaries, one of the first, in the first wave of missionaries that went with World Harvest Mission to Uganda back in the late, like, 70s, and, 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 and Robert Carr happened to be one of those, and I was talking with Robert one day, and he said to me, he said, Keith, I'm going to tell you something that you're probably not going to believe. <laughs> <laughs> but what they did when they first got there is they would go out into the countryside and they would just find footpaths and they would follow the footpaths to see where they led and then they would try to communicate and talk with the people that they came in contact with as they were going through the jungle walking down the trail he told me this he said one day this happened he said this really happened I promise you I swear this really happened Keith he said, I don't tell most people this because they think I'm crazy. He said, but I was walking down one of these trails one day. I came across a guy. I was trying to communicate with him, and we could not communicate at all. His dialect was something I didn't know anything about. He didn't speak any English at all, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the Holy Spirit enabled me to share the gospel to that man in his own language. Don't try to box the Holy Spirit in. God can do what he wants to do whenever he wants to do it with whoever he wants to do it with, and he doesn't have to explain it to anybody. Do I believe that happened? Yes, I have absolutely no reason not to believe it. Now, have I ever experienced anything like that myself? No. And Dick and Barb will tell you, there's some really strange stuff that takes place in Africa, but there's some really neat stuff, too. So what I want to set, challenge us with this morning, very often we want to sometimes put God in a box, and we want to tell him what he can do and what he can't do, and how he can do it and how he can't do it. Reality is this, is he's in control. He can do whatever he wants to do, whenever he wants to do it, with whoever he wants to do it, and he doesn't even owe us an explanation for it. 
You know me, and you, you understand that I believe that theology is extremely important. But God is in control. Wouldn't that be cool if he did something like, like that with you? And he told me, he said, Keith, I don't tell most people this because they'll think I'm crazy. Has God ever done anything in your life that you know of or whatever that was seen, maybe looked upon from the outside by other people and thought it might be a little crazy? It's so easy for us to try to put God into a box, and very often we try to use our theology to do that, to box God in and set limits and restraints and boundaries for him. We have to be very careful not to do that. God is full of surprises. Let's look at the people in the room around you. Surprise, surprise, surprise. When God began to work in Lori and I, you know, Lori and I are very different people. I think as we've, we've lived together now for as many years as we have, we've become more and more like each other in some ways. And, and I really do think that we complement each other. We always have. But she's, she would be classified as an extrovert by most people. I, on the other hand, would be classified as an introvert on, by most people. Most people don't think that introverts would make very good pastors or preachers or et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things that happened to us was early on in this whole process, we were sent to the church planning assessment center in Atlanta for the PCA to figure out whether we would make decent church planners or not. So anyway, we went and we didn't pass. Basically, what they said to us is, you may think you're being called to plant a church, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, but we just don't see how, basically. But where are we this morning? And let me just give you another example. There was a couple there that became like the poster child for the church planning assessment group that we were in. They tried to plant a church with lots of denominational support, and it failed. My whole point here is we have to be careful not to put God in a box. He can do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, with whoever he wants to do it with, and he doesn't owe anybody an explanation. 
And let me tell you this, sometimes I think he goes out of his way to use people to do things that no one in, in the world would ever think about using to do a particular thing. Because when it's said and done, what's the only conclusion anyone can come to? God did it. This is a God thing. This is a God thing. If you look through history, you're going to find that very often God calls and uses particular people to do things that no one would think about calling and using. <laughs> For the reason that when all is said and done, everyone will understand that he did it, that he gets the credit. Verses 8 through 11, we have a listing of all the various homelands that those present in Jerusalem came to for Pentecost. It's roughly the Eastern Mediterranean world, basically the world of the Old Testament and the New Testament. People from all over it. And they were hearing the gospel spoken in their native tongue by the apostles. So what were they able to do now? To go back home and do what? Tell other people. There were people there that were watching and wondering and drawing conclusions. Some are saying, what does this mean? They had no idea. <laughs> no idea what was going on here. People who did not know what to do with Jesus. Do you know any people in the world today who do just simply do not know what to do with Jesus? Sometimes they pull him out when it's convenient to do that, and other times they live their life as if he didn't even exist. No people like that. Unsure, amazed by what they saw, but unsure of what it all meant. There were others there, however, who were antagonistic toward the apostles. 
They mocked them. They made fun of them, claiming that they were drunk. And they were right. They just didn't happen to be drunk on wine. They were drunk with the Holy Spirit. Intoxicated, if you will. Ever hear anyone, has anyone, anyone ever called you this name when they found out you were a Reformed Christian? Uh, they called you one of the frozen chosen. Have you ever heard that before? Sometimes it's probably a very accurate term, unfortunately. But it's surely not true for every Reformed Christian. And it certainly should not ever be true of any. You know that I don't agree with a lot of charismatic Christian theology. But I will say this for the charismatic movement. It has served a good purpose for the whole church. Because if nothing else, it has brought the Holy Spirit more to the forefront. Where people like us for a very long time have kind of kept him in the back row. Brought the Holy Spirit more up front and more personal for all of us. Our worship today is very different than it probably would have been 30 years ago. And one of the things I would say to you is this, is because is I, grew, I, you know, I grew up in a Baptist church, and let me tell you, everything was pretty much formalized. You knew what we were going to do every week, and you know, this, that, and the other. And, and I can't tell you that I, that, that I ever heard people singing joyously in a worship service. People knew the words, and they spoke the words, and whatever. But I didn't have any great sense of a great joy of the Lord that was present in the church that I went to. Real worship is always spirit-led worship. And if the spirit is not in it, it doesn't cut mustard. This is what R.C. Sproul writes about Pentecost. Pentecost was a watershed moment in the history of the church. 
The day of Pentecost was that moment in redemptive history when God unlocked the power of the Holy Spirit and gave it to his church, not just for those who were gathered there, but to the church of every age and to every Christian throughout time. We are to be people of the Holy Spirit as well uh, as of the Son and of the Father. My prayer for all of us is that we would learn and we would practice more and more and more a humble reliance on the Holy Spirit who indwells us. Who is in this room this morning, who is moving among us. And if we have no sense of that, then what I want to ask you is why are you even here? He's here. Whether you see it, you feel it, or not. Sometimes I wonder if we're not, in fact, resisting the Holy Spirit. Can it be sometimes that we're actually guilty of doing something like that? We don't want to get too emotional in our worship. People might look down on us or something. Let me tell you something. You make a lot of noise for the few people that are in this room on Sunday morning. Some of you probably can't hear it so much because you're in the back. Matter of fact, most of you are in the back. And let me tell you, being up here in the front, you can hear it. And I know this is just not a bunch of people gathered in a room singing. These people are being led by the Spirit. And they're worshiping in the Spirit. You may not feel it, but I know I feel the Spirit moving at times very mightily. in this room on Sunday mornings. If you don't, you might want to give some thought as to why you don't. Perhaps you are even resisting the Holy Spirit. And Lord knows we don't want to do that. Well, as we've been studying and just began 
you know, the book of Acts. We know the rest of the story. We know how things turn out. I'd imagine just about everybody in this room at least has read through or, or heard a sermon series through the book of Acts at some time in their lifetime. You know what it's about. But we understand that the office of apostle was a temporary thing. That we don't, we don't you know, give the title of apostle to people in the church today. Most of us. Some people do, but I don't believe that when they're doing it, they're actually making people apostles. Some people go by that title. We don't use that title in our denomination because we don't believe that there are literally any apostles today. Now, the office of apostle ended when this handful of men appointed for this special purpose died. But the Lord did not leave the church leaderless. He granted two offices to the church. One is the office of deacon and the other is the office of elder. We have truly been blessed in this little congregation over these years with a man that has stepped forward and filled both deacon and elder positions. I hope everyone in this room really understands how blessed they are to have the representatives they do and the leaders they have. Good, solid, God-loving men, every single one of them. And some of them have been doing it for almost as long as I have. There have been a few times when I've suggested to one or two of them, maybe you want to take a little time off or something and whatever, and they just they don't want to have anything to do with it. We have been blessed in a lot of ways through the years as a, as a church, and one of those is through our deacons and our elders and their wives, by the way, because when a man is called into office, his wife comes right along with him. So anyway, we are going to bring Butch and Bob forward this morning, Bob Hazen. And Walter Redman. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Riley and Lloyd and Ken to come forward too.